We're going to be in a few places in Scripture today. And so uh, if you want to go ahead and turn to Jeremiah chapter 6. Jeremiah chapter 6 is where we're going to start off. We're also going to look at Luke chapter 8 in a little bit. And then we'll finish up in Isaiah 61. So I'll be jumping around a little bit today if you want to go ahead and put a couple of markers down. Starting a new series today entitled Holy Patterns. And I'm praying that God's going to use this in a powerful way. Not only for our church, but for you individually in your life. I believe that right now, in the middle of this disruption, we have an unprecedented opportunity to establish new patterns and walk away from old ones. That's what I'm hoping God can do in your heart, and that this sermon, this series, will be helpful for that. In January and February of 2014, the workers of the London Underground, the London Subway and Transportation System, went on strike. And so during that time, when many of the workers were on strike, they had to shut down a lot of the subway stations. They didn't shut down all of them, but they shut down many of them. And what that meant is that every morning for several days, a large number of commuters had to change the route, or the route, how do you say it, route or route? It kind of just depends, right? They changed their route on how they would get to work, on how they would commute. And so they changed their route, their route, for these days while the strike was going on. But something interesting happened. When the strike was over, because many of the daily commuters use the same Metro Pass that just recharges with an amount, they continued to use their same Metro card before, during, and after the strike. And so they could see the patterns, where the people would check in to get on subway stations, where they would get in on in the afternoon to go home. And they could see that 5% of the people who changed their commute during the strike never went back to the previous commute after the strike. What they found out during the strike, when they were forced to take a different route, was that they had been doing their commute wrong all this time. There was a better, perhaps faster way for them to get to work or to school each day. The strike forced them to try something different. And researchers referred to this as the forced experiment. A forced experiment. Right now, you and I are living in the greatest disruption that we've ever experienced in our lives. And I believe that we have an opportunity to make use of this forced experiment. That we have an opportunity to see some patterns that have been in our lives that need to change. At some point for those commuters, their route had no longer been the best way to get from point A to point B. It might have been that somewhere along the way, a new subway station had been added or a new train schedule had been developed. There was a better way, but they were stuck in their routine. At some point, their route had become a rut that they were stuck in. But the strike forced them out of their rut, and they found a new route. We are living in a forced experiment. And even if our patterns and habits were working before the pandemic, there's a good chance that right now there are some patterns, some habits that we should leave behind and embrace some new ways of living. 
A survey was done of people, and many said that they hoped that life did not go back to normal after the pandemic, meaning that there was something that they wanted to see change. I want to tell you that I think that during the pandemic, God wants to reveal to you some new patterns that should be in place, some old patterns that should go away, that will make it possible for you to live the life that you're aspiring to live, or better yet, live the life that God has called you to live. In the book of Jeremiah, we see Jeremiah comes in a time of disruption. Jeremiah was the man God used to disrupt the patterns that Israel had been following. And this disruption that would take place in Israel was first going to bring a disruption in Jeremiah's life. You see, Jeremiah's grandfather and his father were priests. And Jeremiah was set to follow in their footsteps, to follow their route, to follow their pattern, and to become a priest like they were. But God comes to Jeremiah and calls him to be a prophet instead of a priest. And the beginning of Jeremiah shows us that Jeremiah hesitates to answer this call because the life of a prophet is unpredictable. A priest would go through the same routines on a regular basis. They would offer sacrifices at the temple. They would go to certain places at certain times to offer certain sacrifices. They had a very clear routine job that they were to do. The priest also had a very predictable income that would be provided to him by the people through the temple. A prophet had no predictable income. He had no idea where God would call him, the messages that he would have to deliver, or how he would feed himself. So you can understand why Jeremiah hesitated at answering this call. This new calling of a prophet instead of a priest was going to be difficult, was going to be hard. People refer to Jeremiah as the weeping prophet because it was so hard. But God's call in his life to be a prophet was better. Now hear this, okay? I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that the new pattern or the new calling that God has for you will be easier. But I can tell you that it will be better. God called Jeremiah to be a prophet. And here in Jeremiah 6, we see one of the first messages that Jeremiah delivers. And it is a message of judgment. We'll start reading in verse 16. Thus says the Lord, Stand in the ways or in the path. Stand in the roads and see. And ask for the old paths where the good way is. And walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. But they said... We will not walk in them. Also, I set a watchman over you, saying, Listen to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, We will not listen. Therefore, you nations, hear, you nations, and know, O congregation, what is among them. Hear, O earth, behold, I will certainly bring calamity upon this people, the fruit of their thoughts, because they have not heeded my words nor my law, but they have rejected it. For what purpose to me comes frankincense from Sheba 
and sweet cane from a far country. Your burnt offerings are not acceptable, nor your sacrifices sweet to me. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will lay a stumbling block before this people, and the fathers and sons together shall fall on them. The neighbor and his friend shall perish. Jeremiah says, God has told you to look on the path, to look upon the road. And you have looked for the path. You have looked upon the road and you have said, we will not walk in them. The people had the opportunity to walk in the paths that God had laid out for them. They had the opportunity to follow in the way, but they said, we will not. Now, there's two important factors I want you to see here. One, they weren't walking in the path that God laid out for them while they were in the midst of giving their sacrifices. He says to them, your sacrifices that you're offering are unworthy. I don't want to smell them. They're like stink to me. So these are people who were going to the temple, who were offering sacrifices. They were taking the routines of worship, but they were not following in the path. They were doing the outward acts of righteousness at God's house, but they were not living lives of obedience to him. You see, you can attend church, and you can walk in the paths of the routine of attendance and worship, but not walk in the path of obedience. If you look back at Jeremiah chapter 5, God tells Jeremiah, walk through the streets of Jerusalem, And Jeremiah, if you can find one man who is righteous, I will hold back judgment. Chapter 5 tells us that Jeremiah walks the streets. And he finds that people, though they were going to the temple and offering sacrifices, they were then coming home and burning incense to false gods. Though they were offering sacrifices in the temple, they were coming home and trying to take advantage of one another. They were not looking after justice and mercy and compassion for their neighbor. They were looking for any opportunity that they could to get ahead. Jeremiah sees this in the streets of the slums in Jerusalem, and he says it must be because these people have not been taught. I will go to the noblemen, the educated, the rich. And what he found there was that it was consistent. From the slum to the richest house, the people, though they went to the temple, did not live lives of obedience. The snapshot in the temple was different than what he found out in the streets. And God became disgusted that though they would walk to the temple, they would not walk the path of obedience. What I want you to see is that God has called us not only to be a people who worship him, God has called us to be a people who obey him. God has called us to be a people who walk with him Monday to Saturday, not just on Sunday. So they were walking in the paths of religion, but they weren't walking in obedience. And secondly, I want you to see, it wasn't for a lack of knowledge. He finds this both in those who have been trained and educated and those who have not. He says in 6.16, they looked upon the paths and they decided not to follow them. You see, knowing the truth does us little good if we're not following and obeying and practicing the truth. And here is the crux of this message. Here is the point of this series. 
I believe that we desperately need holy patterns in our lives to help us practice the truth and not just know the truth. Because we all know truth that we don't live out, don't we? Because if only knowing the truth made all the difference, all I would need to do is know that if I eat more calories than I burn, then I'll gain weight. But I know that, and I still eat more calories than I burn. If knowing was all that we had to do, we could just read a fitness book and suddenly all become fit. I could say to you, hey, listen, just burn more calories than you eat, and all of us would lose three pounds this week. But that's not going to happen. Because even though we know that, we sit down and we say, I want another piece of fried chicken. When is dessert? Christian philosopher James K.A. Smith, he writes in his book about this, this, this practice of living out our loves or our truths. And he talks about at one point his wife had gotten him to become interested in like really healthy organic food. And so he had picked up this book about how you should eat like farm to table stuff, just eat really healthy vegetables and organic foods. And he was just really interested in this and it was, it was all so interesting to him. And he's sitting and he's writing down notes in the book and he's highlighting the book and he's carrying the book with him as he goes through his daily commute of life, as he runs errands, and he has a moment, he'll sit down and he'll highlight it. And there's a moment when he's reading the book and he's just highlighted a passage about how he should eat healthy foods, farm to table, and he looks up and he realizes that he's currently eating a hot dog in Costco. Here in the very like epicenter of consumerism and unhealthy food and buying way more than you need, he's eating of all things a hot dog. Because he knew the truth, but he had this routine of going to Costco and sitting down and having a healthy Costco hot dog. You see, it doesn't matter what you know if what you do is inconsistent with what you know. It doesn't matter what you know if what you do is inconsistent with what you know. It does us no good to know the path if we are not willing to walk in it. Bonhoeffer said theology without practice isn't really theology. In other words, if we have beliefs but we don't practice them, we don't really believe them. At least not enough to apply them. You see, there's a major component that we often miss in applying the truth to our lives. It's application. It's practice. It's living it out. I think the reason that people change their commutes after the strike in the London Underground, was that for several days they had to live out that new route. They had to live out that new routine. If you had shown them a map and said, hey, listen, if you go to this station and take this train and then make your transfer and go to, it'll take you less time. They might have thought, you know what, you're right, but then the next day it would have been easy to slip into their, new, into their old pattern of routine. You know that, right? I mean, how many of you you're sitting down with someone and you're going to have a meal and you're, you're like, you're intentional, like, I'm going to talk with them. I'm so glad to be with them. And you pull out your phone to just look at what time it is. And there's a text message from someone. And so you read that text message and then you look at the next thing 
And then you realize this person that you're sitting with is looking at you like, why are you lost in your phone? Because your routine has been go from app to app to app. Probably every parent has had that moment where you've meant to sit down and play with your kids, but something has distracted you, and 10 minutes later you recognize that you were still lost in your phone. It's the habit. Probably every one of us has, has made the decision that we're going to eat healthier, and then we come home from work, and we're halfway through a jar of peanut butter before we realize what we're doing. You see, what's true in all of us is that there is this immense power of habits and routines in us. And God has given that as a gift so they can be used in a powerful way. But we have neglected changing our habits and our patterns and our routines. I've recognized an unintended stance or emphasis in my own preaching. Looking back on messages that I've preached to you, I've kind of come at it from this idea that if I can just convince you of the truth, then everything will be right. That if I can just convince you of the truth of God's word, then what follows is just going to be a natural application of that. And probably a part of the reason that I've done that is that because of experiences in my past where there were rules and regulations and standards that you had to follow, that I was afraid that I'd fall into legalism putting commands on you, forcing you to do things. And so I swung to the opposite end of the spectrum, thinking if I can just give you the truth, if I can just give you the knowledge, that everything will follow. But I failed to tell you that you must practice that truth. You must apply that knowledge. In my own life, I can see how legalism pushed me to kind of swing to the opposite end of the spectrum. In our culture, what we see, if you look back, is that there was this period called the Enlightenment, and everyone began to see like, oh, everything is about what we think. That's the reason that we say things like, I think, therefore I am. And people are human beings, not human doings. John Mark Homer points out that there's almost this idea in our culture that we are brains with legs and that everything happens within our knowledge and our thinking patterns, but there's this powerful, powerful tool of habits that if we're not careful, will derail what we know to be true. That will lead us to eat a Costco hot dog when we know that we should eat farm-to-table organic food. That will lead us to reach for a candy bar when we know that we should eat an apple that will lead us to drink another soda when we know that we really need to drink some water. But because it's a pattern, it's a routine. Because it's something that we have built in for a long period of time. It just takes over, and we allow it to run. For a time, I recognized that in addition to teaching you the truth, that there needed to be this presence of the Spirit, that truth alone would not, would not make a difference, but we had to experience the presence of God among us, Him reaching into our hearts and pointing out those sins that need to be convicted of, those hurts that need to be comforted. So we've emphasized the need of having the Spirit meeting with us. But I believe that the truth in the Spirit, the knowledge and the experience that they're like two legs of a stool, that without practice and application as that third leg of the stool, it'll be all for naught. We see this in the life and teaching of Jesus. Look with me at 
Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, Jesus is just given a parable. One of his stories that takes something that they can see, something that's visible, and applies a spiritual uh, element, our spiritual idea or principle to it. He's given this talk, he's given it to the crowd, and the disciples come to him after and they say, what does this mean? And the story that Jesus had told had been of a sower sowing seeds. And let's just read the explanation that Jesus gives to the disciples. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside, in other words, the seeds that fall on the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. It's those that they hear the truth, but Satan snatches it away, distracts them with something else, gives them reason to doubt, and before they believe, it is snatched away. 13, but those with, on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root. These believe for a while, and in time of temptation, fall away. They have no root, so they fall away. 14, now the ones that fell among the thorns, their seeds that fall among briars and weeds and thorns, are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with the care, riches, and pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on good ground are those who, hearing the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience or endurance. And the idea there is that they take in the truth and they hold on to it and they practice it. They bear fruit as a result of it. It makes a difference in the way that they live. Look down at verse 21. After Jesus is given this teaching, his mother and his brothers want to see him. They're asking for him. So some people say, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are standing outside. They want to see you. In verse 21, Jesus responds and he said, My mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. Jesus preaches his paramount sermon on the mount. He preaches the beatitude, these kingdom principles that were just mind-boggling and turned everything that the Jews knew upside down. And then he comes to the end of it and he says, listen, this is how you'll know those who are teaching this truth. They will be the prophets who bear fruit, whose actions follow their truth or their belief. Then he says that those who hear this message and do it will be like the man who built his house upon a rock. But the man who hears these words and does not do them will be like one who builds his house upon the sand. And the storm comes, and his house is washed away. Jesus said in John 13, 17, you have heard these commands, happy or blessed are ye if you know them? No. If you believe them? No. If you do them, if you put them into practice. And what we see in the life and teaching of Jesus is that he is showing them that knowledge does them no good if their actions are inconsistent with their knowledge. 
There have been a lot of books released in the last 10 years about the power of habits. One of the most famous is that title, The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. Another one that's been released just in the last two years that was a runaway bestseller was Atomic Habits. It's about how little habits can make these huge differences. Another one that's pretty popular is The Compound Effect. And what all of these books point to is that there are these scripts that run in our lives. And they've done tests on mice, but they put them in a maze. And they're scanning the mouse's brain as he's going through the maze, and they can see all of these things are lighting up in the brain as they're trying to find their way to the cheese that's at the end of the maze. And the brain lights up the first several times that they're in the maze, but once they have developed a routine of making their way through the maze, as they scan the brain of that mouse, and he's put in a maze that he's familiar with, that he's run a dozen times, there is no activity in his brain. Because just a brief moment of activity, him recognizing where he is, turning on the old script of how he's done this in the past, and he's able to make his way through the maze without thinking of it. That's the reason that you can go to work and not think about where you're going. That you can arrive at work and say, what happened to the last 10 minutes? Because you're just following a maze to get to the end like you've done numerous times. Now, I believe that God has designed this into our structure, into our thinking, so that we can develop holy patterns, so that we can develop ways through life, so that we, on a regular basis, without even having to think about it, do the things that we ought to do. How powerful would it be in your life if when you woke up in the morning, you didn't have to think about whether or not you should spend some time in God's Word, you just immediately started to spend time with God? How powerful would it be if in the morning you didn't have to convince yourself of the necessity, the, the benefit, the blessing of spending time with God in prayer? You just naturally spent time with Him in prayer. What if when you got up in the morning you didn't have to convince yourself to spend time with God, but it became natural and habitual, not mindless? I believe that God has built this into our lives so that we can have these powerful habits the believers of old referred to them as spiritual disciplines or paths to sanctification, paths to transformation. The way that we are changed is that we put patterns into our life so that on a regular basis we live out the truth that we know. Because I believe that everyone in here, if I polled you, everyone who is here in the gym and everyone who is watching online that is tuning on, tuning into a church service during the pandemic, that every one of us would say, yes, it's important that we spend time in God's Word and in prayer. I believe that there would be near 100% support of that idea. But if we were honest about our practice this past week, we would find the percentage of the application of that truth would be shockingly low. Did you know that a recent survey of Christians found that during the pandemic, Bible reading has gone down? That is so backwards. But what it is, it's this, 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 this pattern change, and we're finding ourselves so overwhelmed and so confused that we're just falling into our old patterns of turning on the news, turning to social media, Turning to Netflix. And we're going to talk about this more next week, but know that all of those companies, agencies, media sources, channels, that they make money when you tune in, not when you do what is healthy for yourself. 
Reed Hastings, who is the CEO of Netflix, said a couple of years ago, our number one competitor is not Amazon, it is sleep. They want you to develop these habits of turning to media sources. And what's dangerous about those, it's not just spending 30 minutes on Facebook or an hour or seven on Netflix. What's dangerous is that when we do those things, we become the kind of people who do those things. Let me tell you, let me tell you what I mean. I love a bowl of cereal at night. My son Lincoln, who's six, he's become the kind of person, he loves a bowl of cereal at night. Nicole cannot keep Cinnamon Toast Crunch and Golden Grahams in the house. Let me, let me just be real. She can't keep Cinnamon Grahams and Golden Honey, whatever it is, the, all these knockoff brands of those. Because every night, Lincoln and I will both have a bowl of cereal. Now, having a bowl of Cinnamon Toast Crunch at 8.30 p.m. is not life-altering. But having a bowl of Cinnamon Toast Crunch at 8.30 p.m. every night is life-altering. 450 calories at, in the evening, not a big deal, but it's a big deal if I become the kind of person who eats a bowl of Cinnamon Toast Crunch every night at 8.30 p.m. And when I have that bowl of cereal... I become the kind of person who has a bowl of cereal every night. But you know, something powerful happened to me six weeks ago. I had a doctor tell me that I desperately needed more potassium in my life. Eight weeks ago, I didn't really like bananas. But I've ate more bananas in the last six weeks than I've ever ate in my life. And just a minute ago, before this service started, I sent a text to Nicole asking her to bring a banana to second service. Because I, I meant to bring one, I forgot, but I, I crave one now. Did eating a banana six weeks ago change my life? Did eating a banana six weeks ago suddenly give me all the potassium I need? No, but becoming a person who eats a banana every day, that makes a big difference. And these habits aren't just a big deal because we need to do them for the day. They're a big deal because we need to do them every day. Every day. Waking up tomorrow morning and turning on Fox News before you read God's Word, not going to turn the world upside down. You'll be okay. We're not going to have an intervention. All right? I'm not going to call you and do church discipline. But waking up every morning and watching Fox News before you read God's Word, and then eventually, instead of reading God's Word, that will have a profound impact on you. Not only has God built into us the strong power of habits, He's also built into us something that's called neuroplasticity. In other words, your brain is plastic. Not really but it can be influenced and changed. Holy patterns, patterns of doing what will give God honor and bring greater spiritual depth to your heart and life can become a part of your routine. It can become a part of new, your new root. And I want you to know 
that holy patterns over time will give us deep roots. In his book, Disappearing Church, Mark Sayers talks about there's this BBC documentary about planet Earth. And when they looked at the jungles, they looked at what happens when a tree in the jungle falls. Now the jungle floor is just teeming with life. But when a large tree in the jungle falls, there's suddenly all this new life that takes place on the surface. Because for the first time in a long time, sun is pouring through that spot. No longer is that shade there blocking the sun. And so they did a time-lapse video over months. And after the tree falls, there are all these broad, leafy, leafy plants that spring up that have as big a leaf as possible so they can catch as much sun as they possibly can so that they can take in the sun's warmth, go through photosynthesis, and grow. But over time, there begin these other plants that jump up. But then they're wrapped around by vines, and those vines choke them out. But about two to three months in, one lone plant springs up. And when it's surrounded by vines, it's not held back. It continues to push through. And eventually, that one lone plant is six feet tall, then eight feet tall. And then it will become the new tree that fills that spot. And the reason that that tree will grow and fill that spot in the jungle is that while all of those broad leafy plants were popping up to grab the sun, that tree was going deep. It was putting down roots. And when that tree finally pops to the surface and the other plants try to choke it out and the vines wrap around it, it has the resources in the deep, rich soil to push through. And what we need in all of life, but especially in times of crisis, we need deep roots. And our world is clamoring for the surface level. Our world is clamoring for what everyone can see and what everyone visually thinks is beautiful and great. And we need to reject the surface and go deep. And holy patterns are the way that we develop new routes and deep roots. When Jesus began his ministry, he stood up in the synagogue and he read from Isaiah 61. And he said, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort those who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And hear this next phrase. Those who follow Him, they will not only exchange beauty for ashes and joy for, joy for mourning, they will exchange, they will find themselves to be, they will be called trees of righteousness. The planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. They will be trees of righteousness. While everyone else is clamoring for the surface, we need to go deep. And we're not going deeper into ourselves. We're not going deeper into to wisdom. We're not going deeper into to experience. We're going deeper into the righteousness that is God. We will be trees of righteousness. 
You see, if you put down deep roots in anything else, it will, it will fade away. But when we put deep roots down in Jesus, those who followed Jesus, those who developed the holy patterns of following Jesus, they would have deep roots of righteousness. And the deep roots of righteousness never pass away. We don't just need to become more disciplined people. We don't need to become a church that wakes up early and loves it. We don't need to be a church that has hundreds of journals filled with introspection and navel-gazing. We don't need to be a church that's, that's consulted myths. and We need to be a church that has deep roots in Jesus. And the holy patterns that we form, if they put roots into anything else, they are worthless. They're worthless. We don't just need patterns. We need holy patterns. Righteous patterns. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer.